This is hell. Live from a studio above a bar, this is hell. Limbo edition. It's limbo edition because your beloved host, Chuck Merritt, is still laid up, still feeling poorly, although I am given to understand his vitality is increasing. So he'll be back, I think, sooner than you would imagine. And we all look forward to that. Until then, the board ops and I are playing our favorite This Is Hell hits from the vaults. And we're also adding some all new questions from hell, uh, rotten history, and moments of truth. So that's excellent. Um, This week's question from hell is what's distracting you from class war? What's distracting you from class war? You can submit your own answer to the question from hell at the Facebook group, facebook.com slash thisishellradio. Give your answer to the question from hell. The very best answer will be selected at the end of the week, and you'll get some free merchandise like a hat or a mug or a toque. So I'll be reading some of those after the interview that I've selected today. Before I get to the interview, I do want to mention the opportunity to give funds to uh, abortion justice work that's happening at abortionfunds.org. There was some breaking news yesterday. There is a leak that the Supreme Court seems primed to overthrow Roe v. Wade, which is deeply insane. Um, The board ops and I are preparing some material about abortion justice that's going to be coming up in the coming days and weeks but until we can listen to that let's all head over to abortionfunds.org and help women secure access to safe and legal abortions in these messed up times so today for today's interview i've selected an interview with boots riley from 2018 back when he was putting out his movie sorry to bother you which is about labor organizing I thought that would be a good pick because there's been some awesome uh, labor organizing surrounding uh, Starbucks and Amazon. Amazon warehouses have been organizing, which are two places you haven't seen a lot of labor organizing in the past. And Boots Film deals with labor organizing in a call center. So that is relevant beyond Boots just being a pretty amazing, interesting guy to talk to. So let's hop to that. This is Chuck talking in 2018 to Boots Riley. This is hell. There's an anti-capitalist sci-fi comedy movie that is blowing up theaters across the United States. Here to tell us about his film, rapper, producer, screenwriter, film director, and activist Boots Riley wrote and directed the movie Sorry to Bother You. Welcome to This Is Hell, Boots. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being up this early in the morning. I cannot believe you're up at 7.20 in the morning. I can't believe I'm up at 9.20 in the morning. So thank you very much for getting up so early to be on our show. Well, you know, I would love to take that uh Thanks and credit, but I'm actually on the East Coast today. So, oh, oh, all right. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Still, I don't want to be up right now. Uh, find out more <laughs> about Sorry to Bother You at sorrytobotheryou.movie and follow Boots on Twitter at Boots Riley. So the first description I saw of your movie, an anti-capitalist sci-fi comedy. 
an anti-capitalist sci-fi comedy. Now, anytime we post an interview that we've done with someone who is critical of capitalism, and we have four people on this week's show who are doing that, uh, so it happens a lot, uh, there's always a pretty good chance that someone will either leave a comment or when someone shares our post, they'll get a response that goes something like, you wouldn't have this platform without capitalism. That without capitalism, we would not have the smartphone we're holding or the social media we're using. How difficult, how much of a challenge is it to make an anti-capitalist film within a capitalist system? Well, first, uh, if that was somebody's stupid thing to say, I would say uh, that all of those technologies that they talked about developing actually took um, a lot of programs that would be deemed socialist to make them happen, uh, to, to uh, that, you know, millions of dollars were poured in um, of taxpayers' money in order to develop these things, right? So it's not something that just purely happened from the capitalist free market or anything like that. So all this stuff didn't come from that. Secondly, people made it. And no matter what system we're in, people are going to figure out how to thrive. The question is, is whether that technology, just that, that technology, whatever system we're in, is going to make that system more effective, more, more efficient. So the technology that we have now just makes us more efficiently exploited as opposed to the technology that we would have if we were in a system where the people democratically controlled the wealth that we created with our labor, then that technology would not just help the bottom line and not just help us figure out how to make our social lives more, uh, more profitable and, and not just make us be, feel guilty for taking a shit without doing an email. Excuse me. But so, so everything we have, it's, it's like if you were a slave, and someone said, well, you wouldn't have that cot you're sleeping on if it weren't for slavery, you know, or you wouldn't have the, the porch that you're dancing on if you weren't in slavery. Well, yeah, but we maybe have something way better. Um, so I, I, I even, I think I got away from your question, which was probably something like, why, you know, how do I make an anti-capitalist movie in a capitalist system, right? Um, was it something like that? It was something like that, but you went off on the, on the correct tangent I wanted you to go off on uh, about, the, about the criticism, but go ahead. Yeah, and well, well here's the thing, is that um, to be against capitalism means to help to organize to get rid of it. It doesn't mean to figure out how to let it not touch you because there's no way to do that. You can't go off in the woods and, you know, make some, you know, bartering society that isn't touched by capitalism. Because if you can do that, you're helping capitalism because you're not working to get rid of it. And, and, and so I think we have a, the, that to a certain point, to a certain extent, the way that the left, since the new since the beginning of the new left in the, in the early 60s has operated, has confused not only those of us on the left, but has also confused the critics of, of the left 
and, and maybe folks that would be on the left, because we've made everything so much about spectacle that we haven't made it clear that what we're talking about is the need to dismantle the system through the working class collectively organizing. And when you look at it that way, then you know that we have to be able to communicate with each other and we have to be able to work along the lines of the power that we have, that it's not just simply about I'm not buying Coca-Cola or I'm not buying Starbucks because that doesn't do anything. All that does is make you support baby capitalists. <laughs> nothing wrong with baby capitalists. And nothing more wrong with baby capitalists than the big capitalists. But the point is you're, we're not working against anything by doing that. I've been on independent record labels and um, major record labels, and I've been ripped off by both, you know? And it, it, it's, it's all the same thing. We're, we're talking about, we're, it's, we're not talking about statements right here. So talking about getting information so that people can organize with each other. Right. Um, so, it, and this gets back to the the kind of the kind of comment I am, am expecting that I will get, as uh, you were uh, uh, replying to earlier. I mean, if capitalism supplies so much, should we be critical of capitalism? What happens if capitalism is above criticism? What happens when there is no debate about capitalism within our public debate, within our public discussion, well, within the mainstream media? Well, let's put it like this. I've been to jail before. It was stupid. I was, I, I was young. Went to jail for like four days. In the midst of that four days, we were beating on tables, rapping. People were laughing and telling jokes. Also, there was a little bit of depression. We were watching TV. Now, did all those things come because we were in prison? No. Can't say that, oh, without prison, you wouldn't have a table to be beaten on. You wouldn't have even made those jokes. You know, we would have been making different jokes and all these things. And I think that that argument is so bankrupt that people shouldn't even spend time on it because the folks that are making that argument don't even really believe it. Just wasting your time. Yeah, I think it's more about being provocative than trying to actually have some sort of debate. They're trying to end the debate. Uh, d does an anti-capitalist theme work better within a comedy, within a sci-fi comedy, than it would, say, in a straight, very dramatic and serious movie? I is comedy a better venue for a capitalist critique or any political uh, uh, criticism for that uh, matter? I don't know. You know, I don't I've only done one movie, so take everything I say with a grain of salt. But uh, they, uh, I, you know, here's the thing: is that analysis is about exaggerating contradiction to show it. So it's not really, you know, you might show, you know, even just the political analysis by taking whittling away the stuff that is not important to the main point. You're highlighting this contradiction because that's what analysis is, is showing where the contradictions are, what forces push against each other. And contradiction is very much associated with irony. You know, you're sh these contradictions going against each other. And irony and humor 
I don't know, sometimes are the same thing. And um, and at the very least are very closely related. So um, for me, I'm trying to make stuff that's closer to life, closer to my true experiences. And, And I think sometimes when people make a drama, they're they're whittling away stuff, and they're whittling away more stuff to make a drama than you are with something that that could be considered a comedy. But I I feel like I didn't even I didn't really try to push the comedy in this. Um, like some of the most funny things were, were things that actually happened. You know, uh, there's an opening scene um, that is how my friend Rob Ebo got all his jobs. He just never got caught, uh, like, in the opening scene. And there's there's an argument between uh, Cassius and his friend Salvador that happens in front of the telemarketing offices. That happened to my little brother, and, and I was like, I'm going to put that in a movie one day. So for me, all of these things that, you know, uh, I, I don't even – I don't – there are some people saying, "Oh, you can't call this a comedy." So I don't know. I I, I don't know what works better. I I know what it, that this seemed to work for me. Um, but yeah, that that same those same rules are ones that I kind of go away from. I don't. I I couldn't say that this would work better than a political thriller. I mean, to the one part is that I could have done a similar a story with a similar uh meaning like but done it in a more traditional way i could have done this with a more like a rocky storyline like they make they try to make a union they fail they get better at it they finally win and they get defeated again then they win or something could have done that um but i wanted to make something that didn't fit um didn't fit the categories that we know about so that we engage with it in a different way so that we you know engage with it um without knowing what's coming and for me that feels more like real life yeah and you definitely do engage with it and i'm going to do everything in our conversation today to make sure that i don't do that i don't spoil the movie in any way so i'll be skirting around the edges of some of the plot twists because it it really is a fantastic movie. I enjoyed this incredibly. In the movie, the hero Cassius Cash Green, played by Lakeith Sanfield, he works for a telemarketer, and the phrase managers repeat to callers and have posted on the wall is, stick to the script. And I kept thinking about that when I was watching the movie and seeing it in the background. Stick to the script. In the process of writing or making, sorry to bother you, did you come across those who told you to stick to the script, that is to not make an anti-capitalist film? I mean, I don't think anybody would waste their time saying that to me in particular. Um, so no, um, but more around the uh, structure of the movie. Those are the things that I was told, to, and the the amount of things that were in the movie. Um, I, when writing this, I wanted to make something that felt more like literature. And I'd seen other folks kind of try it, try that, 
and have all these things going on, but usually it was happening in the dialogue and and um and uh it really didn't work to me so i I wanted to extend that to the production design and the narrative um and and have just have it rich with detail and for some people that feels wrong because that's not what you're told to do um but like some of my favorite authors they're the kind of authors that'll be like instead of just saying he went to the store they'll be like he walked slowly to the store and in his left hand he carried the coffee cup that his grandmother 20 years before had murdered his grandfather with in it was the coffee from last night that he was still determined to finish. So all of that stuff, a lot of producers would be like, just show them at the store. And many times that, that's, that's the right way to do it. But other times, you're trying to figure out how to get these ideas in and how and, 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 and if you don't, if you just show them at the store, then 20 pages later, you got to have somebody clunkily and corn and in a cliched way saying, "Hey, you know, remember that his grandmother killed his uh, grandfather 20 years ago, right?" And it ends up being, it, it, you just end up doing the same thing in a different way, and in a way that people are more accept or are more used to. So I, I, I the the. The advice I got was more um, about how to make it, or put it like this, the, the push I got was about how to make it more like something that people were used to seeing. At the start, the lead character, Cash Green, is very concerned about doing something that matters with his life. He complains about life not meaning anything and that his life will mean nothing. How much do you see capitalism taking the meaning out of life? Does capitalism make life to some extent meaningless? Well, thank you for that question. I will now answer it in the way that you expected me to answer. Um, <laughs> I think that uh, I think that we have our lives reduced in many ways to the hours that we're working and then the rest of the hours of the day are often just for us to rest up so we can go back to work. We try to get a few things in, um, spend time with somebody we love or whatever. Usually there's not enough time. Um, and I, and, and uh, you have a song called, I just want to lay around all day in bed with you. And it's called that because if we didn't have to sell our time, that's what many of us would be doing. Now, obviously, whatever society we have, we have to be productive. But because of the way capitalism is set up, we have to produce way more um, than we would. And things are organized, not necessarily in, in a way that where we feel a part of it. So our work is usually something that we're very disconnected from um, uh, because we don't have any ownership in it. And so, and so we don't feel a part of the things that we're, we're doing in it. And, and 
you know, it makes us feel alone, makes us feel uh, unnecessary. And um, yeah, I think I think people go into depressions, you know, because of that. I mean, not to say that in, you know, you wouldn't have people depressed in anything, but you know, we we are so disconnected from being a part of the thing, be, having any control or say in the thing that we spend most of our life doing. And um, our social lives are, I mean, now, just even more recently, um, are even, you know, guided by this hand. Like, you know, like who we talk to because of social media you know, like which of our friends that we talk to, which of our friends thoughts like get on our timeline and that we interact with is guided by, I don't know, Mark Zuckerberg or something like that. I mean, all of this stuff would have seemed heavy handed had you put it in a science fiction movie in the 80s. But here we are. So uh, in the movie, uh, in your movie, Sorry to Bother You, there's a hit show called I Got the Crap Kicked Out of Me. It doesn't use the word crap, but whatever. And Cash Green's girlfriend, uh, Detroit, played by Tessa Thompson, is an artist. And at one point she's wearing a pair of earrings with one having in large print, uh, murder, 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 and the other saying kill, kill, kill. How much does capitalism not only depend upon our basest instincts, but thrives off our basis to instincts and desires, even perpetuating and promoting the worst, most base parts of ourselves. A lot. Oh, there's more. Okay. Well, <laughs> I think that uh, here, I, I, I think that, that the main thing is we're not in control. Right. So, well, because that's what somebody might um, somebody might argue is that we are in control that this that is determined by our choices. So, is it our fault no, what, or is well, it capitalism's it, fault? Well, what, what what makes it our choices is the thing. Like, what controls culture? What controls the decisions we make? How how is that determined? Like, you can a lot of people would agree. Like, a lot of it has to do with the culture that you grew up in, what your parents teach you and all of those things that develops who you are. But where does that come from? Where does culture, the things that, how people sit down at the table, what people do uh, after work, where the, how is all of that stuff um, controlled? And, and, and here's the thing, sociologists and anthropologists um, would all agree, and, and of course, obviously, um, many revolutionaries, uh, that what creates culture is the way we survive. Like, everything stems from that. Every, you know, whatever business that town has, let's say, you know, you have a steel mill town, you have certain things that happen, rituals, like everybody meets at the bar at whatever o'clock. People wear these kind of boots. Those sorts of, all of that stuff extends from from how we survive. And and even certain words and 
all that sort of stuff. This is even going, this is beyond like ideas that get to us from the media or whatever. This is before even all of that. So, and, and you know, and like taking it back, I would say fishing villages create fishing songs. You can't, you know, go to an agricultural village and be like, you know what? Those agricultural songs, that's not what we are doing. We're all going to listen to fishing songs right now, you know, because you might play those fishing songs and you might sing them and people, they catch on, people start singing them. They like those melodies. They like the, the you know, the words that are used, but they're going to go back to agricultural songs because they can't take the, the, where they are. They can't take the, those fishing songs and then just start fishing unless there's a river. You move them to a river and have them start fishing for a living, then that's when those fishing songs are going to really, and people are going to create those themselves. So everything derives from how people survive. All of, the, the cult, all of those things, uh, all the, the ills that we see um, that we are calling out in, 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 under capitalism are ones that are necessary, a necessary utility for a system based on the exploitation of labor. Like it helps it out. And, um, and, and not only is it that it helps it out, it grows from, from that. Cash Green is advised in the movie by an older telemarketer to sound white, but to sound white doesn't mean to talk with a nasal accent. As uh, Cash Green is told by the older telemarketer, uh, to mimic a white voice, you sound like you don't have a care, like you've never been fired, only laid off. That's sounding white. Is sounding white to you about a lot more than an accent, but the attitude in words? And what is that attitude? And so let's be clear. What they're talking about in here is this magic white voice. Like in the movie, he... um, they have a magical power. It sounds like it's overdubbed to everyone around them. Um, and so, and it, he also says there is no real white voice. It's what white people think they're supposed to sound like, and it's what white people wish they sounded like. And, and, and for me, um, what I'm putting out there that, is that that is, for instance, at the opposite end of the racist black tropes, the racist tropes of people of color or black people that we see, um, because those have, have a certain utility that this also is a part of, which is, you know, they, they show racist ideas of, 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 of black folks, which are that, you know, that to, to explain poverty. Like, look, they're poor and in, in trouble because, you know, they're savage or their culture doesn't, you know, make them doesn't give them a strong work ethic, or um, you know, the parents, the, the the family is broken up. A lot of these things are, you know, just flat out easily disprovable lies. And um, all the but what they do is they they're there, they're on TV, they're in the, and, and they explain poverty to the rest of the working class and to people of color as a system of bad choices that the impoverished make. Because the truth is, is that poverty is built into capitalism. Like 
you must have a certain amount of unemployed people in order to have capitalism work. You can't have full employment under capitalism because then everyone with a job could demand whatever they want because there's no way to fire, no way to replace them. And, and the, the, you know, you wouldn't even need a union if, that, if there was full employment because nobody's scared of getting fired. So there, there's always a need for this unemployed, this, this army of unemployed workers. And you see this, you see like economic pundits getting scared like on in Wall Street Journal or whatever. When the unemployment rate starts going too low, there's a direct correlation with wages going up. And there's a direct correlation with wages going up to stocks going down. So we, there has to be a certain amount of unemployed people under capitalism. There has to be poverty. There has to be what we see in these shows called crime, which is people trying to feed themselves when they're unemployed and finally getting engaged in, in the illegal uh, economy, and which then makes all these other things happen. But it's explained to us as a crisis of culture of, from people of color. And, and, and so almost a reaction to the and, and so that so whole thing can keep a white guy who's making 22,000 a year feeling like he's middle class, right? Um, and, 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 and so there's this, there's this performance of whiteness that is engaged in by these characters that's also a performance by white people. Like there's nothing inherently um, white or inherently black. So this is a, it's explained as a performance. And, um, and so that's what the idea of whiteness is. It's not necessarily the truth of where white people are. Is, is, I know this sounds kind of like an odd question, but is capitalism racist or is racism capitalist? I don't know. I think the question is a little moot because, um, you have to, like, like, if you want to defeat racism, it's only going to happen if you get rid of capitalism. Uh, uh, and the idea of race is something that was created um, to, to uh, make slavery okay. They had to, you know, and, and they, they had to, uh, in, to ensure the white working class of Europe that um, they weren't going to do this form of slavery to them. And before that, there had been, uh, you know, the people were described in what country they came from or whatever and described in, the, you know, you might describe how someone looks, but there was no idea that the people of Ireland were somehow connected to the people of England because they were white. That wasn't a thing. Um, and and uh, so the, those divisions weren't weren't there. But this theory of race came up because of that. 
because again it had a utility which is was is the same thing that's happening now right which is you know these folks are not really even human so you don't even have to worry about them they're a whole nother race race meant species at the time um and uh you know so we're that's why it's okay to do this to them there you know um and and here are the qualities which show you that they are a different race um but the point is is it exists it's here now what do we do right and what we do has to do with where we think the basis of it comes is racism just something genetically inherent in people i obviously from what i just said i don't believe so um where did when did racism start popping up and it has to do with capitalism and it has and what is the utility of even racist ideas it has to do with capitalism there are, there are lots of people with racist ideas does that mean that all of a sudden we don't try to make a movement like what i we need the whole working class to organize together the question is what what changes what people think so um one of the first things i was involved in as a teenager was um helping out uh and and supporting the uh Watsonville cannery workers strike and there there was a lot of stuff going on between portuguese and mexican folks met portuguese mexican and filipino folks and lots of problems between the communities um and the, these were all communities that were on that were about to be engaging in this strike and um you know sorts of myths about this group of people does that to that group of people this and that people just hating each other romeo and juliet type situations happening all the time anyway the thing that brought people together was like we have this fight to win we are going to we 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 all we can't just one group of us go on strike and win right because that's actually what you know the 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 cannery owners would have wanted is because you know for people to organize along those lines however they had to figure out how to work together and more than any other like don't be racist sort of thing don't have these ideas about each other sort of talk um what changed it was people having a fight having a reason that they had to figure out how to not alienate each other right um because if it's just about uh let's figure out how to be gentler it's just not going to happen people act out of self interest which is some of the reason why racism exists and why why you can find people that are part of one um oppressed group that may only see the problems that are happening with their oppressed group and not see the problems that are happening with another oppressed group the answer isn't just educating people 
isn't just getting people to use the right language. The answer is getting involved in fights where we have to join together. Then people figure out how to work together, how not to um, alienate the people that they need on their side. Uh, another example was the, was the Longshoremen Union in, in, in the, the part that's in Oakland. Longshoremen Union in Oakland right now. So those are really good jobs because they shut down the port. They just boom, millions of dollars lost, you know, in just half a day of shutdown. 80% black people, the long, longshoremen uh, in, in the Bay Area. How did it get that way? Well, when they were making the the, the longshore uh, long, the longshoremen's union, there there was a uh, they had a militant strike going on, and a lot of the long in the twenties and thirties, and a lot of the longshoremen. First of all, that was a situation where it was considered less. Um, less skilled labor than fast food workers, let's say, or custodians or whatever, and also a more precarious uh, work environment where people were tired and fired each day, all the time. And people were like, they were, and, and the jobs moved from this tier to that tier or whatever, like, we're like, there's no way you can organize that. So they had this militant strike that where eventually um, – like even tanks were brought out and all that kind of stuff. Well, um, and I, I, I don't know why I'm forgetting this guy's name, but the leader of the Longshoremen uh, Union at the time was a was a socialist, and he already knew that you know there was a problem because most of the longshoremen in the Bay Area were white, and he was like, look, all they're going to do is go to the black community and get them to come in as scabs. And that's what was starting to happen. So he went to the churches and to the, to, to this place in Oakland called seventh street where everybody hung out and there were bars and stuff like that. And was like, look, uh, join in on this strike with us. Don't scab. And, you know, guarantee that, not only are you know do we have an inclusive union, but the union will be so strong that we'll hire that you'll be able to do the hiring. So the union to this day hires its own. Like the boss doesn't do the hiring, the union hires, and that fight won, and a lot of black folks were part of it, and. That's why that's why it's eighty percent black folks with labor jobs that pay a hundred and five thousand a year. Uh, uh, Boots, one last question for you. We've been speaking with rapper, producer, screenwriter, film director, and activist Boots Riley, who wrote and directed the movie "Sorry to Bother You." You can find out more about "Sorry to Bother You" at sorry to bother you dot movie. You can follow Boots on Twitter at. Boots Riley, that's R-I-L-E-Y. One last question for you, and as we do with all of our guests, our final question is the question from hell, the question we hate to ask, you might hate to answer, our audience is going to hate your response. 
So whether it's the ratings of I Got the Crap Kicked Out of Me, the TV show that's mentioned in your movie, or Steve Lifts, he's the owner of a company called Worry Free, or their stocks going up after being caught doing really, really horrible things, it seems metrics reward the worst behavior, whether it's the Nielsen ratings or Dow Jones. Why doesn't the market, why doesn't capitalism reward good behavior? I mean, well, that's just not the function of capitalism. The one function of capitalism is just exploiting labor. And I'm not the one, but that's the main part. So it's going to reward whatever can thrive in that system. Um, I don't know that there aren't things that make it through under capitalism that have beneficial qualities. I mean, there's pop songs that have great meanings and ideas. I mean, you know, there's that John Lennon uh, Imagine song. You know what I'm saying? There's things that do make it through. But but I think that uh, that the, the question is is what does it end up becoming? I mean, like Trump could use the song "Imagine." I mean, right now people would point out how hypocritical it was, but these pieces of culture that we make that do have redeemable or even really great qualities. Um, they're not attached to some sort of changing of the material situation we're in. They just get swallowed up and become part of what we're, what's going on. And, 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 and you know, that it's because our, our fight is not merely a cultural one. It's a material one has to do with, you know, and, and, and many radicals don't want to deal with this because this is the kind of organizing that it will take that's harder. Like, it's not just like you can say the right thing, like, I'm right. No, you got to figure out how to work with people and how to get people on your side that don't agree with you and, and not just to show that you're right. And you have to, um, you have to organize in places where it's not – you can't just go find all the people that agree with you and then hang out with them and then walk together with them. You have to organizing on the job. Everybody listening probably understands it's a hard thing because everybody doesn't agree with you. How do you become the kind of person that galvanizes those around you? Me, I'm a performer. I was not a performer before. I became one. I became a personality that was bigger than life on stage because that's what it took. And I understood where, what I needed to do. I was not a writer. I made myself figure out how to write songs. I made myself figure out how, you know, because that's what was needed. We also have to figure out if we're someone that wants to change the way things are, how do we make ourselves that person that can work and get people to be involved with that. And some of that has to do with understanding that the, the fight is about this larger struggle that has to happen and that the folks that we're talking to that we disagree with 
are the folks that we we need to organize and 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 so it's not merely about culture um it, it's about it, it, you know cuz you could have the tv show that wasn't um i got this kicked out of me and if nothing is changing about how how we how, you know what what material what what our pay is what what our lifestyle is with regards to the material uh distribution of wealth if none of that is changing if there's no movement around that it doesn't matter whether there's a love in on tv or i got this i got the crap beat out of me or whatever um it's, it's you know it really just comes down to that I don't know if I kind of went off on a tangent. I don't even know if I answered the question. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter because your tangent was better than the question was. Boots, I really appreciate you being on the show with us this week. That's rapper, producer, screenwriter, film director, and activist Boots Riley. He wrote and directed the movie Sorry to Bother You. Find out more about Sorry to Bother You at sorrytobotheryou.movie. You can follow Boots on Twitter, at Boots Riley. Thank you so much for being on our show this week. I really appreciate it. And I'm, I want to thank all of our listeners, too, uh, for uh, asking you on line to uh, be on our show this week so thank you very much i really appreciate it Boots. thank you thanks for having me take care that was chuck in 2018 talking with boots riley about his movie sorry to bother you and labor organizing producing culture under capitalism and the relationship between race and capitalism i really liked listening to that i hope you did too read some questions from hell as you'll recall this week's question from hell is what's distracting you from class war Kelly H says work Lawrence L says survival Zach N says social media it can be distracting Thomas K says my Calvin P tape which is a callback to last week's question from hell. Thanks for listening. Pete V says lunch. Nicholas E says my class. The ultimate irony. Josh F says all the fine items on sale at my local big box store. Just look at all those savings. It's funny. Stephen S says all you can eat. Pedro N. takes it down a notch by mentioning climate change. Clarence S. says boredom. And I'll read this last one. Marco G. says social anxiety. I feel that. All right. I'll leave the rest for Lindsay tomorrow, who will be in the studio, same time, same channel. Thanks for tuning in on this Wednesday morning edition of This Is Hell Limbo. I saw some good news on the Twitter feed that Chuck just walked a city block, which is a big milestone. Happy for him. We're sending all our love to him. Glad he's getting better. I enjoyed playing the Boots interview from the vaults. I think we're looking forward to some interviews coming up centering abortion justice. I'll be playing another interview from The Vault next week, the same time. Until then, 
My demon is on my butt. Uh. My demon talks to me in profanity like a sailor. And my demon tries to knock me down. And my demon tries to put me on a hell ride. Thank you for listening to This Is Hell. For more interview hell and to support the show, visit thisishell.com. <laughs>